Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Well, hey guys, good to see you. It's good to be with you. Uh, like Ben said earlier, my name is Ryan McCarthy, and I did not teach you how to preach, Ben. You already knew how to preach when you got there, right? Um, but I did teach you how to tie your shoes. I, um, I, I love Christmas. I mean, like you just walking in here, seeing like all the lights, I, I, it triggers a part of me that I'm like, oh, I like this. I got some, this is lame, but any Christmas fans in here? All right. <laughs> I, I really, I, I love Christmas mostly. I, I love, like I said, the Christmas lights. I like um, the getting to wear sweaters again because I'm middle-aged. Um, I like when Starbucks changes the color of the cups. I, just something about like those things. I love it. But there's things that I kind of dread about Christmas too. Uh, right around, it seems to get earlier every year. I, I noticed it at Halloween uh, when it was over. The day after, I heard Christmas songs at Einstein Bagels. And some of those songs are just way overplayed. Amen? Amen. Like, All I Want for Christmas is You. Sure, if you think it's a great song, I've heard it enough. Nothing from you guys. Okay, how about Feliz Navidad? Okay. <laughs> Fun song at first, but have you ever listened to that song all, all the way to the end? It's, it, it is so repetitive. It drives me crazy. And then there's just some really bad ones because I think there's a, there's a classification of musicians who think that like we have to put out a Christmas album for some reason. Everybody has to throw their name into that hat. Well, anyway, I, I didn't mean to spend that much time on that point. Uh, <laughs> buying gifts is stressful to me. A few, maybe four years ago, I don't know how many years ago, uh, I got gifts for Brandy and they all kind of went wrong. And at the end of that, mor- of that Christmas morning, she kind of said to me, I feel like these gifts tell me how much you don't know me. Right. We've recovered from that. Okay. I literally, I mean, because I, I got her things that didn't fit, that had like, well, I got her a I'm not going to get into this. This is not, I learned my lesson, but I still have a slight like stress about that. Uh, I actually think I found a good one today. Um, the, let me just back out and say, the expectation that everything has to be special is a burden to me. Uh, it, this, this feeling that everything needs to be sugar-coated, every interaction needs to be sweet, every gift needs to be, ah, oh, and it all has to be magical, and it just sets up this expectation that leads to an inevitable disappointment. I've heard someone define expectations as premeditated resentments. I think you just, you're kind of just setting yourself up for some disappointment. This is going to be the best trip ever going back home, and you you like, okay, I'm here, and it's kind of annoying. I, I feel that tension with Christmas, and I don't know how many of you feel the same thing, that it, it all needs to be special. How many of you are kind of painfully waiting for your Hallmark movie to unfold, your personalized Hallmark movie to happen, right? I will say I haven't watched 
any, many, I, I don't know, I've seen one or two. I, I, let me just do a quick aside and say, I've got a great pitch for a Hallmark movie, and just tell me what y'all think. Uh, it's a story about a girl named Nikki. Uh, she's an up-and-coming uh, career woman in her 20s. She's really, like, a lot of potential. She's really good, and she's just, you know, almost a workaholic. She's, she's got a, a boyfriend who is kind of like, he's cute enough, but he's, he's, uh, he's too into his work, and, and he's planning on proposing. Um, but she has to go back to her small hometown in Ohio to save the family business. And while she's there, you know, she interacts with her sassy grandma and, um, you know, does some stuff, but she enters a folksy contest in the small town and meets a guy in plaid who's, who's just like, he's nice, but you kind of realize like he's actually kind of good looking, right? And, and, you, you notice that you find out he's a, he's a single dad, a widow. Let's say he's a widow <laughs> with a precocious child. And um, in the process as that unfolds, it turns out they win the folksy contest. They save the family business. And she decides that her boyfriend, of course, shows up in the middle of it when it's just starting to get good. And he tries to propose. And that's the realization like, oh, they break up a little bit. And then they come back together with plaid dad. They win the folksy contest, save the family business. She stays to form a family and everything's great. And you find out right at the end that the old man in town just might be Santa, right? So what do you, Hallmark, you can have it. That's, all right. Can you give me an extra three minutes for that? It has nothing to do with where I'm going. Everyone, I think, experiences to some extent, uh, it feels like in the hall during Christmas, everyone around you is experiencing this joy and this connection. Everybody's, it's sweet for everybody. And, and, and then there's you, that it's not quite what you're seeing around you. And beginning the morning after Thanksgiving, you get blanketed with this message that it's, it's, it's cold out there. It's beautiful outside, but it's cold out there. But inside, it's warm and toasty, chestnuts, and, there's all, and all the people that you love are with you. And, and that's what the holidays are supposed to be. And, and yet, you might be in a place where your family is, they're the people you only see on special occasions now, right? For the holidays, you, you go home, and, and it's sweet to be with them, but it's your home here doesn't really feel like your home. That could be some of you. Some of you might go home to your family and it's kind of heartbreaking because they're, maybe they're irritating or they're dis, it's dysfunctional and it just reminds you how broken things are and it kind of, it's hard to go home. Some of you don't have a family to go home to in the way that's paraded around and all the you know, greeting cards and whatever. And it just, it all points to what your life isn't turning out to be against a gold standard that's highlighted in, in the holidays. And it's, um, the sweetness of the holidays can be bittersweet, right? I, I think it's amplified even for those of us who are trying to walk with Christ. I, I mean, I could be wrong in that, but I think for a lot of us, just being a Christian can add a, a, a cosmic expectation to it all. Just a level of like, this is not only supposed to be sweet with my family, but, but worshipful and profound. And I've had a lot of holidays where it's like, it's not nearly as worshipful as I feel like it could, could be or should be. And so leaning into all of that, I, I, I'm going to summarize this that I think in a lot of ways, the holidays can make me feel lonely. 
it makes a lot of us feel lonely. And I don't know if you feel like no one really understands you or you don't have anybody unconditionally walking with you for the foreseeable future uh, or just feeling unseen, unrecognized, longing for a deeper connection. We all feel varying degrees of loneliness, I think all the time, but it gets amplified during the holidays. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, you know, glad you're talking about this, but I'm not really lonely. And I'd say, well, okay, granted, if you're not really lonely, you're surrounded by people who are. And you will be lonely someday soon, someday. I mean, I hope not soon, but you're gonna experience it. (laughs) You will be, you will be lonely. I will see to it. No, you're going you're gonna to experience loneliness in different times. And not only that, but I would also even argue that it's possible that you are lonely and you don't know it. You just notice it maybe at bedtime or when you're alone. And you, that's why you always need to have Netflix on or whatever it is, you know, social media. You've got to make a social media reference, right? Um, so uh, industry joke, sorry about that. Um, if I, I want to set this up by reading a, a very famous passage from, written by King David, who was, before he was a king, he was a shepherd. And he wrote something that I, I want to read it, and it might be very familiar to a lot of us, even if you didn't grow up in the church, because it was quoted in Titanic, okay? Um, Psalm 23. And then when I read this, my goal is not to exposit every verse, but I just want to read it and let you hear it and think of it as a diagnostic. Like As I'm reading it, ask yourself, does this describe my experience as a Christian? Or just does this describe my experience in general? And um, yeah, so just honestly ask yourself, does this describe? Because David is speaking about his own walk with God, but as Christians... If you're in Christ, this should be describing you because he's talking about the Lord, his shepherd. And Jesus says he's the good shepherd in John chapter 10. He's our shepherd. So let me read this and be listening to see if this describes you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The sweet experience. I mean, if that describes your internal world, praise God. But let me just pick this apart for a second. Is the Lord your shepherd? Do you feel like the Lord is my shepherd? Therefore, I shall not want. I don't, I don't really want anything. I've got him. I'm already, that's already kind of, I feel a gap already. Uh, he restores my soul. Is, is he the one I return to to restore my soul? Or do I, do I turn to like, I've got a couple games on my phone. I think I automatically restore my soul in. I, just a bunch of things, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. No, no prospect of my future scares me. Any amens on that? Why? Why, do, why can he say that? Because you are with me. 
Talk about confidence because he feels this presence of the Lord. And then he goes, turns from looking at the Lord as a shepherd to the Lord as a host. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Is God your host? I mean, the image here is you're the Lord's guest. And he says, he anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is like the ultimate fulfillment of what Thanksgiving is supposed to be or the coming home for the holidays. You're sitting down and you're an honored special guest to anoint someone's head with, the, with oil was what you did for an honored special guest. And so the Lord is like welcoming, welcoming me to his table with others. If you're a sheep, by the way, you're with a flock. So it's not just the shepherd. You have community and you're now sitting at the table with the Lord as your host. And by the way, it's just interesting. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's really weird. Can you imagine like an army ready to attack David and he sits down to have a meal? Like when are you more defenseless than when you're about to be attacked? Like you have enemies. Uh, I, I guess sleeping would be more defenseless. But outside of that, it's sitting down for a meal. And, but I don't fear that because I'm with the Lord. And then he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His outlook on the future is secure because God is with him forever. Is that, does this describe you? I hope it does. And I hope maybe it does somewhat. And it does for me somewhat. But I read an anti-Psalm 23 written by a guy I love, David Pallison. He's a biblical counselor. And actually, it's up here on the, it's gonna be up on the screen. I'm just gonna read this. And you tell me which one kind of resonates more with your internal world. So David Pallison, I didn't quote the whole thing, but here's a lot of it. I'm on my own. Nobody looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down dark paths, Still, I insist, I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility. I fear the potential of loss at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really my friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me. Sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Welcome to Renovate. Um, Now, which one describes you more? And you know, don't raise your hand. It's internal. I just want you to think about that. And I, I feel like I have a pretty sweet relationship with God, but I feel like more of the anti-Psalm is like, yeah, I, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. And that's a problem that I want to hit the mute button on. He says it in there. I, I don't want to think about these things. The, the, the problem of loneliness, I think, is 
And, it, and there's certainly more touched on in that anti-psalm than just loneliness. But just zooming in on loneliness is loneliness is an epidemic right now. Like since the 1980s, the rates of people who declare themselves to be lonely has like well more than doubled. That there was actually a survey done by the American Council of Life Insurance. You know, we all follow that. Um, and they surveyed the loneliest groups of people. And so up here, it says, uh, you know, they had these different people. Guess who is the loneliest group in that bunch? You guessed it because it's at the top. College students. And which is really ironic, isn't it? Because if you think about it, who is the most connected group in there? Experiences the most connectivity and act, access to people. I mean, it's not, it's not single moms or rural students or the elderly. I mean, it's college students easily. And the most connected group experiences the greatest or declares the greatest levels of loneliness. And I, there's really no hope for an elderly divorcee who goes to a rural college. Um, but fortunately, I don't think I don't see any in, in here. Um, loneliness is an equal opportunity offender. It's, it, it doesn't, it, it, there's no respecter of age, of gender, of economic status, or of marital status. I mean, it's easy to think that maybe marriage would fix loneliness. And it does things to play into that equation, but it, and it could also increase loneliness. I counsel people for a living, you know, and I counsel a lot of married people. And, and I could say in seasons of, of our marriage, I have felt very lonely. And there's something about loneliness in marriage that is actually kind of scarier because in singleness, there's a, there's a loneliness plus hope, you know, but in, when you're in a tough marriage, it feels like sing, it's loneliness plus hopelessness. And to, to not know how to talk to someone that you live with is a very scary form of loneliness. But the point being is marriage doesn't really fix it. Um, neither does busyness because it just mutes it. It drowns it out until you get home or until you're by yourself, until you have an evening with no plans or whatever. Um, popularity doesn't cure it. You're surrounded by people who you feel like they know you in a conditional way and the, the, the relationships don't go deep enough for the parts of you that, that, that need to be addressed or that you need to feel that. Uh, it's, circumstances vary, but the feelings are similar. We feel isolated, vulnerable, and alone. We want to talk and be heard. We want to be known and understood. We, want, we don't want to feel invisible. We want to be included. There's just, those feelings are the same, but the circumstances vary. And, and what we do with it, I think our default responses are generally not helpful. So, it's an, loneliness is an assault on the emotions. It's not just this one feeling. It's usually a cocktail of feelings. It's, it's sadness, maybe plus fear, plus stress, plus self-pity. And all these kind of, kind of hit you. And then it's like, well, it's gotta, you need a way to cope. And what are the ways we cope? I have mentioned it a bunch. I think busyness, for those of us who can be busy, is almost an automatic way. But then there's just noise. Having the TV on all the time or having, you know, having a phone always nearby to be scrolling through and seeing what's going on and what to look at. Um, shopping could be, it could be just any unhealthy comforts. I mean, pornography, uh, you could see how that might numb it for a minute, but then on the other end is an increased loneliness because now you just, 
looked at what you don't have and you increased your desire for it and you, you decreased your ability to probably get what you want because you're sitting back and not out there pursuing and you're feeling, so there's, there's alcohol, drugs, there's all sorts of things, but there's also like things that might be arguably good, like self-improvement. We might cope with loneliness through self-improvement, but it's not a, that's not really a healthy coping mechanism. I, what I mean is like, hey, if I lose 15 pounds, maybe I'll, or I get that promotion, or I'm able to save up or pay off my debt. Those are good things, but if you're using those as a remedy for loneliness, you'll find that you're kind of chasing your tail. I know plenty of successful, healthy people who are lonely. That, that doesn't cure it. Um, so maybe I'm gonna say it's community. What you need is Christian fellowship. Because the, yeah. Um, I'm not gonna say that. Because I think a lot of us, I might get there eventually, but a lot of us have tried fellowship and found that you still feel lonely. You've reached out. You're trying to play by the rules that you know that like you've grown up hearing in church maybe. And you find like, why am I still lonely? I'm jumping through all those hoops. Um, And here's the reason. Um, You've tried that and it doesn't work because people can't cure loneliness. People can't cure your loneliness. Let me say almost all the people. Uh, the people in your life that you see on a daily basis, they're all gonna have this in common. They're gonna fall short of the glory of God. They're flawed, sinful. We're surrounded by people who are kind of selfish. Some of them are even self-absorbed. Some of them are very fickle. And you know, you might think of your best friend and think, well, I wouldn't say that about my best friend. But at the end of the day, your best friend falls short of the glory of God. And if you bring the chasm in your soul of loneliness to people, including one day maybe your spouse, you're putting a burden on them that they were not able to bear. It's not what cures our loneliness, it's who, capital H, I guess, if you will, who cures our loneliness. You see, it isn't what remedies our loneliness, but who remedies remedies it, namely Jesus. He's the, the friend of sinners. And so as I turn a little more to like, how do you face your loneliness? I wanna lead off. I just have two points, but I wanna be really clear. It has to be first go to God, then go to others. First go to God and then go to others. A healthy solution to loneliness always has to start being with vertical. Then, Then you go horizontal because undergirding the cure to loneliness is a joyful belief in what David said in Psalm 23. Undergirding the cure to loneliness is believing that the Lord's my shepherd. I'm not, forgive my language, but I'm not being screwed. He's my shepherd. He's with me. I'm not gonna be left out. He's not gonna leave and forsake me. I can walk through some scary scenarios knowing you're with me. And your rod and your staff, the the evidences of your presence, which include discipline, painful things, those things comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's just a great outlook on the future through dark times rooted in the fact that he believes in who God is in his life. So number one, go to God with your loneliness. 
you wanna, if you wanna address it in a meaningful way, go to him in your loneliness, with your loneliness. See, the holiday season seems to tell you that you're supposed to be happy. Everyone around you seems to be happy. But the pain that you feel in that is not creating the song of joy. It's like a song of sorrow that you're feeling. And coming to church and sometimes can aggravate that because you're just expected with the small talk that you might have. I'm not saying everybody has small talk, but it just puts this burden that like you don't bring your sadness to that because you're gonna be a downer. It's okay to be sad. You have permission to be sad. A lot of us don't know that, don't believe it, never heard it, or terrified to feel sad. But it's okay to feel sad. Ecclesiastes 7.3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. That was one of my good friends. That was his senior year uh, yearbook quote. Isn't that cool? I'm serious. Okay. There's something very, why is that true? Why is sorrow better than laughter? I mean, is that just an ironic kind of like Yoda thing to say? There's something, the reason is, is there's something very true about the sadness and loneliness that you feel. There's something true about it. Like, life is short. There's a very real brokenness all around you and in every relationship you have. We weren't meant to bury our heads in the sand with that feeling. We were meant to face it and actually feel it because there's some truth to it. But you're not gonna grow in wisdom and you're not gonna grow in true joy by hitting the mute button and learning to laugh at a funny YouTube clip instead of feeling sad. It's actually allowing yourself to feel it. There's great wisdom in learning to not numb the feeling through distractions, laughter, and escapes. So my point here in going to God more specifically is learn to be sad alone with God. And even if you're not just sad, maybe you're happy and you're sad. Maybe you're excited and you're nervous. I mean, we're more complex than that. But what do you do with those feelings of sadness? Learn to take it to God. There's a word for it in the scriptures. It's called lament. There's a whole book of the Bible named after the emotion, that that expression of lamentations, that we bring our complaints and our pain to God and it's a form of worship. One out of three Psalms, of the 150 Psalms, 50 of them are lament Psalms. It's, it's, It's a daily, it's a discipline that doesn't get a lot of press, but it is healthy to take your sadness and learn how to talk to God and say, why has this not happened yet, Lord? Why am I feeling this way? I'm tired of this. When is this gonna happen? This hurts, Lord. Too many Christians are either afraid or refuse to talk to God about their struggles, whether because of shame or fear of rejection or judgment from him or anxiety or concern. I'd say, I'd underline this one, a concern of being being irreverent. Like, do I take my self-pity that might be my own sin and complain to God in my own self-pity? Is that irreverent? Um, Lament says to God, I believe you're good enough to listen to me without shutting me down and fixing me because you're bringing forgiven sin to him 
wherever you are sinful. It's already been paid for. He's already, he has nothing left for you but fatherly love. Imagine you had a kid. Would you want your kid to isolate from you because your kid doesn't think you would understand? Of course not. And God doesn't have any knowledge gaps with us. He gets us better than we get ourselves, but we isolate in our pain because that's what we're comfortable doing. Or we take our pain to our friends who probably don't know exactly how to help. So complain to him. Do you, can you bring your complaints to God? If you're taking notes, here's some Psalms to start with. If you want to take a look, Psalm three, great argument Psalm. If you're in an argument, Psalm three, Psalm 13, how long will you keep forgetting me, Lord? How long must I take counsel in my own soul? Like you feel forgotten, tell him that. You know, it's interesting. God didn't forget David when he said that. And he doesn't interrupt him and say, I don't forget. Sit down, David. No, that's how people respond. Why do you forget me? I didn't forget you. Lord, he's perfect in listening to you and joining you and letting you air it out. Psalm 88, great depression psalm. Sounds weird, I know. Psalm 73, I I think the last time I was here was on Psalm 73, envy, just eating you up and self-pity. There's so many good ones, but learn to bring your complaints to God. Private lament has the potential to bring healing to your soul and strengthen your heart as you walk through the valley. So let me move on to one other point, a little shorter here. Learn to be sad with him and also invite God to search your heart. Um, I'm gonna encourage you like, to do this. Ask the Lord to show how you intensify your own loneliness and, and maybe even the loneliness of others. Like, for example, are you shy? Are you afraid to talk to people? Ask God why. why. What am I afraid of, Lord? And talk to him about that. He might reveal something that you can hear from him, but you might have a hard time hearing from others. Are you, are you outgoing, but you seem to push people away? Ask the Lord why. Search my heart. Maybe you try too hard. Maybe you talk too much and you don't know it. Would you rather have your friends silently avoid you or have them confront you with it or have the Lord who knows you and gets you listen to you and reveal that to you lovingly? Maybe you send out mixed messages because you have this desire to be known, but you have this fear of being rejected and you're constantly going back and forth and you don't, you're sending out mixed messages. The Lord alone gets you and you invite him to search your heart um, You're going to know yourself the way he made you. And I believe this with all my heart. There is no such thing as an inherently awkward or unlikable person. There is no such thing as an inherently unlikable, awkward, difficult personality. It's our attempts to jury rig our personalities based on the perceived expectations of the people around us. I mean, just be like, really like, God made me the way I am, right? I've got my insecurities. The older I get, the less I care. And I feel secure in him more than I ever have in my life. But I am always aware of my height. I think I'm kind of short. I'm 5'7". I'm kind of short. And I don't have a big mane of hair, right? Okay, there's two things. Like, I don't care really about those things. And you don't care, right? Who, how many of you thought about it? I bet nobody has thought about that until I mentioned it. What would be awkward is if I came up here wearing platform shoes and had a comb over. 
That's me trying too hard. Now I'm awkward. We do that with our personality. We, we think, oh, I got to be funny here because funny people are likable. So you try too hard. Maybe you're not that funny. Well, fine, that's fine. I think I'm awkward. I am awkward. I kind of like it now. I like my awkwardness. I'm okay with it. And I say something awkward, it's like embrace it. And you probably like my awkwardness too. You know what I mean? It's not an asset in the dating world. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it is. I, I haven't tried in a while. But I'm, I'm getting awkward already. And I, okay, but I'm, it's, he knows me as I am. And step into, he knows who he made you to be. Invite him to continue to shape you into that. And that's, those are two things I'm just going to God. I'm probably way out of time. But after you go to God, and as you, as you heal, go to others, because they are lonely too. Go to others as a second step. You're going, you're reaching out to other people who are probably lonely like you are. I mean, and so another way to say it's like, do you want better friendships? Become the friend that you long for to, your, to other people. It, it sounds simple, but here's the thing. If you skip number one, you cannot do number two because you are going to use people to fill the chasm that you're feeling. You're using people. You're not loving them. But if you go to God and let him fill you up, you now have an abundance, an overflow to go to other people and to become the friend that you're longing for. So this is a natural byproduct of going to him is to go then to others. So go to God first, then become the type of friend you're longing for by going to your friends. Like, like Matthew six thirty three: seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these other things will be added onto you. Like God will take care of you if you do number one. But to, to give you specifics, go to others who are also lonely. And just to break down three things. You could, this could be a whole other sermon. What would a good friend look like? A good friend listens well. You know, uh, loneliness can actually teach you to listen well. If you list, learn to listen to your own loneliness, you start to realize how common your feelings are and you start to listen to other people. You hear loneliness in other people. And you just learn to listen. And it's interesting because you're forgetting about yourself, listening to others, and you find a connection. Um, and, but just for the, I, I'm just gonna keep moving. So learn to listen well. Another one be a good friend is constant, is, is loyal, is committed. A good friend carries burdens. So say Proverbs seventeen seventeen for example. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. That's a good friend. He loves at all times. Good times, bad times. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You might have brothers and sisters. They're your family, but there are friends who will stick closer than your own family. I I read a story about a man a number of years back who during the financial season, bad season, had uh, his net worth went from 20 million down to 8 million. And he was talking to his financial advisor. His wife kept on spending money as if he had 20 million because he didn't tell her that he had lost all this money. And his financial advisor said, you need to tell your wife that you are now worth 8 million. And he said, I can't, she'll leave me. You know, poor thing, 8 million. Um, but the thing is, he had, a, he had a spouse, but he didn't have a friend, Right? We need to become the type of friends who aren't, don't bail the moment this gets difficult or you're going through a hard time. 
Becoming that type of person is a way to start to develop those kinds of friendships. And the last one, learn to be vulnerable. A good friend is vulnerable. In other words, you allow other people to know you in the ways that, in the areas you're most tempted to hide. This is hard. I mean, we're all, every one of us is stuck with this problem. On one hand, our greatest desire is to be loved, to be truly known and totally accepted. And on the other hand, our greatest fear is to be known and to be rejected at the same time. And it leaves us in this, like we want to present the best part of ourselves because if we present the whole thing, we might be seen and then they're going, oh, you're, you're kind of a mess. I'm going to, I got something to do. Um, people are going to back away if they really know you, right? That's what it, and so we're caught in this tension. Well, the truth is that's true for you, but it's true for the people around you. They all feel it. And the only way to cure that is not by just airing all your junk to people, but it's learning to go to the one who knows you the most because the one who knows you the most loves you the most. There's nothing that God doesn't know about you that he hasn't already paid for, and he loves you. He knows you totally and loves you fully. The cross, if you think about what Jesus did on the cross and what the cross says is, I am so sinful that Jesus had to die for me, and yet I am so loved that Jesus died for me. And when you look at yourself and go to, go to God based on what he did for you at the cross, you're stepping into a place where you can be vulnerable with God and realize I've got nothing to fear because the judge has already spoken. He knows me and he's not rejected me. And as you start testing the waters with vulnerability, I guarantee you're gonna hear people say, you struggle with that too? Oh, me too. It's re- I mean, as a pastor, it's that, that temptation is only heightened to hide. And I've found that anytime I went to people and other pastors who I thought were supermen, I would share a struggle. And they'd say, you too? That, that. And you start to find like, there is fellowship in being naked emotionally with other people, letting them see your whole self. But you can't start with other people who are finite and sinful and fickle, who might hurt you in it. You take it to God first and realize this vulnerability is now a gift I give to other people and you serve and love others. And the whole reason we can do it is because Jesus faced the worst case scenario so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus went to the cross and faced the ultimate loneliness. He was abandoned by his father and he was rejected by his brothers and by us. And so all that fell on him so that we can have a final verdict of known, loved, and accepted. So you go to him first. And, and my, my prayer is that as you feel the, the kind of the haunting loneliness, like the infiltrating your Christmas parties or whatever it might be, that you say, that's a reminder. I need to go to him and air that out with him, give it to him. And then as a form of worship, I'm gonna go to others and love on the people that, that you put in my life. I hope that's a challenge that we can take to heart. It's a simple thing to remember. Go to God first and then go to others. Let me pray. Father, a lot of this is easier said than done. Uh, A lot of us, myself, I'll just speak for myself. I'm very slow to take vulnerable parts of my heart to you, places where I'm hurting. Uh, I'm I'm still not used to it, but every time I've done it, I, I have walked away filled and joyful and able to love others. 
So would you help every one of us to take the appropriate baby steps toward going to you with whatever loneliness or other problems we're feeling and out of that overflow, pouring into others and just finding the loneliness in our own life kind of evaporating naturally because we're doing what your word tells us to do. We love you and pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.